Oh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Um, thank you for being here. It's a special day. I, I, I think every Sunday is, is special, but something a little different going on this morning uh, that we get to celebrate today. We are uh, going to be celebrating baptism. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are stepping forward and doing that, awesome. And so we always want to share a little bit about baptism, what it represents prior to stepping into that time, just so that we're a reminder. So we're given a reminder and, and we're able to maybe even revisit what that meant for those who have been baptized or those who are maybe prayerfully considering that. And so we want to go over that uh, a little bit to let you know in advance, those of you who are, are planning to be baptized today, when we're done with the teaching part, we'll have communion together. And once we then move into that time of communion, you can move outside, get changed and meet with Trey uh, around by the front, right? Where the horse trough is. <laughs> and so, uh, so we could do that at that time. And, um, also, I just want to say thank you to everyone who was involved, who planned, who worked hard, who did all that you did for last uh, Sunday for Easter under the bridge with the homeless community. Thank you for your work there as well. We, we talk about how trying to do good in our city or just, I don't know, just try and be um, better people and representing who we believe in and, and what we're about we're, we always talk about that we're constantly learning how to do that better, and it always seems like there's so much more to learn and so much more to do, but I think that celebration, that time that we have um, on Easter Sunday has just been beautiful, and the fact that we're able to give away so many brand new pairs of work boots and shoes, and this community stepping up, those that you know stepping up to do that, and then also being able to take what was left over and give to Mobilos and Fishes at Community First. How many pairs of boots and shoes were we able to get, Trey, do you know, to Community First? Well, over a 1,000 overall, but still four pair, 400 pairs of boots and shoes. I mean, just that were left over. It's like multiplying the fish and the bread, you know, it's crazy. And 43 more pairs have arrived. Any 11s? No. They're all 11s. Thank you. No. Um... <laughs> well, let's pick up where we left off with Easter. Um, as you look into God's word, we've been teaching on the story of Christ all the way through his, um, his death, his burial, and obviously the celebrate, what we celebrate in his resurrection. I mean, he conquered death. He died for us. Um, and we're, the, the disciples were in this tension, and all of Israel is in this tension at this time of what does this mean to us? So now what? You know, when we talk about the scriptures that have the therefore we talks about something about God and then says, therefore, this, and we get to live on this side of that. Therefore, it's like if where the rubber meets the road, therefore, how, this is how we should respond. I kind of feel like the book of Acts is kind of like the therefore book of the New Testament. It talks about, we go through the gospels, the story of the life of Christ, um, how he led the disciples, how he lived, how he ultimately died uh, and was risen back to life. And then, then Acts begins to pick up the actions of his disciples, the follow-up, what happened with the church. The church that we see today uh, was, was established directly after this time, and, it, and, it's, and it's captured in the story of the book of Acts. And so um, we're going to start there. We're going to look at a scripture, mostly in Acts chapter 2. Um, but before we do that, let's look, consider what was going on in Acts 1. In Acts 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared over the next 40 days to more than 500 people. So he was just around for 40 days. He was seen over and over and over, and he taught over and over. He made appearances. He gave, what Scripture says, many convincing proofs 
that he was alive. And so this was just a season where the people who ended up writing and took account of the stories that were coming, we need to remember that they were written in the lifetime of those who walked with Christ. So this wasn't just secondhand or thirdhand hearsay or whatever of might, what might have happened. Their testimonies and life changed the people who actually knew him and walked with him. And so these are the stories that, that we read. And so he appeared to them, and one of the last times that he appeared to them, uh, to the disciples, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but he says, I want you to wait for the gift that my father has promised. He says, which you have heard me speak about. And what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who uh, maybe if you don't know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and this gift and how this works together, we believe that God is is uh, three in one. We call it the Trinity, three in one, that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and that there is God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son, Jesus, literally we call him Emmanuel. We talked about a couple weeks ago that that means God with us. So his presence is with us in this space. It's really hard to understand three in one, right? And I think there's really no earthly way to describe that. What helps me is when I think about that I'm, I'm one person, but I'm also a father, I'm also a husband, and I'm also a son. Does that make sense? Um, in a very earthly, lame description, kind of gives you an understanding how there's different roles in which uh, the relationships that I have and how I interact with different people in my, my own life. And the promise here is Jesus says, when I leave, then the, then the Holy Spirit will come and will lead you. That the, the, the Bible calls it the counselor, the one who is with us. You know, it, it's, I don't, it's manifested different ways in our lives. The Spirit lives in us as believers, but it's interesting how the Spirit leads us. The Spirit led Jesus, right? The Spirit ascended on the form of, uh, through the form of a dove to Jesus when he was baptized. The Spirit led him into uh, his time of temptation and preparation for his, his public ministry. But the Spirit is that thing that is leading us and speaking to us and moving in us. And it's God's presence in us. All right, And this is the promise that Jesus said. He says, I'm going, but I'm going so that the comforter, the, the counselor can come and be in you always. So this is a gift. This is the gift that he's talking about. And then he ascended into heaven. And so we see at the end of Acts 1 that at this moment, back in Jerusalem, while they were waiting in Jerusalem like Jesus told them to, there were about 120 believers, the Bible said, that stood with Peter and the disciples in Jerusalem. There's just 120 of them. That was it. 120. And the moment came that we know as Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and uh, into these believers, the Holy Spirit appeared in power. It said the wind, there was a huge wind. Um, everyone started speaking in a foreign tongue. And the, specifically, this is the, if you look into this scripture, it's not a, a, a babbling of nonsense speaking. They were literally speaking in the language of everyone out there who could understand what they were saying. They were speaking in languages they didn't know how to speak. They were given this gift to speak in another language that made sense to other people. So it's just something very powerful was happening in this moment. And it's interesting in Acts 2, as we pick up in verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. These are all the outsiders who are hearing this overflow of what's going on in the lives of the believers in this time. And they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And they know that they're the wonders, and they know that they're declaring them, and they know that they're of God, and that it's this miracle that these people are speaking their language that they didn't know how to speak, right? So God is moving, and they responded in one of two ways. Verse 12 said, some said they were amazed and perplexed, and so they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Doesn't that seem like an appropriate response if God does something? I mean, he's like really something big that's, you can't explain it away with anything. To just stop and go, what does this mean? What does this mean to us? Where do we go? What, how should we respond? And I think that's the right attitude. I think the other response, the first one was, what does this mean? And the second one in verse 13, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Isn't that interesting? How we respond. So then, where we're picking up today, I just want to read this scripture. Acts 2, verse 29. Peter turns to the crowd and he begins to address the crowd. Now remember, this is the Peter who denied Christ. This is the Peter who was first called, who walked with Jesus. And then uh, in that moment, when Jesus was betrayed and he was being crucified, he denied that he even knew him. Um, He turned and he said, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save save yourselves from this generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Pretty significant moment in the history of the church. Talk about church growth, right? 3,000 in one day. I wonder what they did with childcare. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a very important part. We talk about the Bible as being this, this, this storyline from Genesis to Revelation, this narrative of God redeeming his, his creation and extending grace to us where we could never earn it on our own and do enough on our own. And this, this scripture is in a critical location which is setting up the fruit of what all this ends up being about. Because Jesus ushered in this new way of living, this new kingdom that was meant to be encouraging and joyful and peaceful and filled with purpose and life and the right priorities and caring for one another and things that are marked by love. And the pastors all over the place, I've done it, taught on Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and beyond. If, you, if you've ever been taught on that, you, you may remember this, this scripture talks about the perfect church. We use it for small groups all the time. Talk about this is what the perfect church looks like. Verse 
42 says, They devoted themselves to the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we use this scripture to teach, okay, so if we're going to go back to the early church, this is what we need to be doing. So we need to be meeting like this. We need to be praying like this. We need to be eating these things. We need to be doing all this stuff. And then we're honoring God. But if you really read this story together, that's not what happened. They didn't just focus on doing these things and start checking the list. What happened was, is there was a connection between this power source in which their salvation and their life in Christ and the Holy Spirit came and empowered them to live a new way. And it changed their desires. It changed their will. When we pray, you know, there are things that I know God wants to do in my life and around the world that sometimes I just don't want to do it. You ever feel that way? You know God wants to do something, you're like, I just don't want to do that, God. Can you just... And when someone says, you know, we need to pray for God's will, it's like, I already know I don't want that, you know? (laughs) Well, you just need to be transformed. You just need to change. I'm like, I've been trying for a long time, and this just isn't happening. Well, what happens is the Holy Spirit, it comes inside of us, it changes us. Not that we don't want our will anymore, but instead that he changes our heart, that our heart's desire are these things, that our heart's desire is to see justice and our heart's desire is to bring mercy and our heart's desire is to be in this kind of fellowship. But this is a description of what happens. It's not a prescription. It's a description of what happens when we are... We're learning to be fully surrendered to what God is doing and what Jesus, Jesus has done for us. So here they were, and they were struggling to embrace this new way, this, this new covenant. And this is what they desired. And I think it, if we're really to look at this experience as they were, uh, came to faith and that they were baptized, it, this experience was really marked by three really critical things. One was surrender. The second thing was empowerment. And the third thing was freedom. When I think about what our salvation and specifically our baptism then represents, because when we're baptized, we're baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're baptized into this new covenant, this new way of living, this new identity. These are the things that I believe are true. The scripture tells us, marks this, these moments. Surrender, empowerment, and freedom. First of all, surrender. When you look up that word surrender, as it's used throughout Scripture, you, you see three themes. One is a moment of concession, to concede. And the second is then a moment of relinquishing control. And the third is in the a concept of entrusting. So there's three levels of learning to surrender. The first is just conceding to go, okay, I'm not God, you are. And I think a lot of us, we pursue God in our own terms, in our own ways, because we want God to prove himself to us instead of recognizing that if God is God, we need to play by his rules, right? The concede to go, okay, I'm human, I'm sinful. If you're God and you're real, then I have to at least concede that you probably know the way I have to come to you. 
that we concede to that. But then not only do we just concede, but then there's a moment of relinquishing ourselves and going, okay, because I know this, I may not even feel it yet or understand it yet, but because I know this is the right way and the fruit of this are all these things that I'm really seeking. I really desire this sense of community, this sense of transformation, this sense of purpose in life and to be a part of this new kingdom that God, I'm then going to relinquish myself to you. And then there's that moment of not just offering it over, but actually entrusting it and say, God, I think your plans for my life and my family might actually be better than mine. That's what happens. But relinquishing, entrusting, conceding that he is Messiah, that he is the one, that he is the one they were waiting for, that he is the one who died for us. But then also empowerment. You see the theme uh, throughout Scripture when it comes to baptism, that just something happens in that moment. I don't know if it is the, the, the water. I don't know if it is the, the surrender of the heart. I don't know um, exactly what it is, but throughout it you see this empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming and doing something amazing in that moment, even with Christ. And a lot of times we're very uncomfortable with the idea of talking about the Holy Spirit. Because it's, you know, it's, it's spirit. It's like, there's a spirit. Like, not flesh, but like there's a spirit going on here. And, and it's hard for us to grasp that. And it makes us uncomfortable. But this is the thing that leads us. The spirit is God leading us and comforting us and counseling us and, and guiding us. And then freedom the ultimate freedom comes because we find our identity now in him and not in us. We find our identity now and we are identifying ourselves in baptism with him, not in ourselves, not in our victories and not in our failures, which is beautiful news because if we earned it on our victories, then when we failed, we would lose it. But instead, it's on him. It's of surrender, of empowerment, and of freedom. This is our victory and the thing that takes the sting out of death. But there's this war going on, right? There's this battle. We, we know about it constantly. There's this battle for our soul, for our trust, for our peace. There's a battle that's waging on that wants to control your story, your past, your present, and your future. Um, and this war is battling on for his kingdom. And it's so interesting how difficult it is when it comes to baptism, why it is we struggle so much. I have, um, it's interesting to me how when we're in fourth grade or sixth grade, and sometimes it's, it's difficult, but it's so much easier to realize, to step into that relationship, and, to, and to, so much easier to be willing to step forward and to be baptized in front of people than it is when we're 40 or when we're 35 or when we're 50. I've known people who have just never done that because they didn't know, and then that moment comes, and they're like, I need to do this, and they're just... There's a war, and then there's those who have, who have lived their whole life trying to honor God, and, and they've never stepped into the waters and been baptized. And maybe they're embarrassed, and they're like, man, people probably think I did this 30 years ago. And there's this thing going on in our head. There's this war waging on. Are we going to choose his way, what he called us to do, or do we keep it about ourselves? I think the big thing I'm hoping that we see out of the Scripture, and I've never taught baptism through the lens of, of how it's described in Acts 1 and 2. But right now, I'm 
I'm just thinking so deeply about this life that Jesus promised and that I know we desire and that when we fall short of that, I know it's because of this lack of empowerment. I believe with all my heart, you know, we, we lean back on our own understanding of what our faith is supposed to look like and how we, how we lead in our families and how we lead professionally and how we, but it's a surrender. When we surrender and we do that, then the spirit comes and leads us and empowers us. Surrender, empowerment, and freedom. Here's what I wanted to do, maybe five minutes. Um, first of all, I wanted to connect this life that we hear about and we dream about and we want to live with what Christ has done, what we just celebrated last week and several weeks prior as we study, years prior as we studied his life, right? Um, connect it with then our lives in this story. But I wanted to just take a moment because we all have so many different backgrounds and different experiences. Um, because what will happen here is a moment. There are people who are, are wanting to be baptized and are prepared to be baptized. And there are some of you here today who are not planning to, but are thinking about it. And maybe you've wrestled with it with a long time, for a long time. And, and we want you to know that maybe today's the day you can do that. Um, there's, we have extra towels and shorts and t-shirts and all that stuff out here. And so, you know, maybe, maybe today you should you should be considering that. We want to give you the opportunity when we're done with communion. You could walk outside and meet with me or with Larry or with Trey, and, and we could talk with you more about that. But because we have so many backgrounds and so many questions and so many things, I did want to open up just for a moment. Of all the things we've taught on baptism in the past, I was, I was much less about the act of it and what it represents today as I have in the past. If you have a question in your mind about baptism, can you go ahead and ask it? Let's discuss it. And the reason I want to do this like this is because I think you have a question that many other people have, and they need, to, they need an answer as well, okay? And so I'd like to do this. And this is scary because I don't have all the answers, okay? But, but I do. I think we've always been a family. We always teach in a way where it's back and forth. We can ask questions, things like that. And, um, and so what I would like to do is spend just a couple minutes, and then we'll move into our time of communion, and we'll sing two songs together, and we'll go outside. Um, you have a question about it. What might it be? How do I feel about infant baptism? I think that that's a question we get a lot. We talk about in our partner class a little bit. I think infant baptism actually the act of it is a beautiful. I think it's a beautiful thing because you have you have parents who are seeking to commit their child to the Lord, right? And so it's this representation of committing the child to the Lord and that, that they were, it's a commitment of them raising that child in the Lord. There are different denominations and different, uh, how, call them faith, whatever it may be, that practice that specifically. Um, um, I think the act of that and what it represents, I think God always goes to the heart, right? He, he, he's pretty, that's what Jesus did. He's like, okay, here's all the stuff we're supposed to do. Now here's the heart of it. And I think the heart of that is, is so beautiful. That's why we do parent-child dedication. Um, that we do a commitment time. We don't do it through baptism, but we do a commitment time where we commit to raise this child in the Lord, to, to at, seek the church's blessing and prayers for us as parents to be able to do this. But I think there is a different baptism, and Jesus even taught it. He said there's a different baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which we are baptized into him, right? And I think as an infant, you don't understand fully what 
it means to be a, to receive Christ, right? So I think I think that um, I think a lot we get in a lot. Of, should we sprinkle? Should we dunk? Should we pour? Should we submerge? Should we do whatever, right? And we go, which one counted? Um, I think the one that counted was the one in your heart where it represented you dying with Christ and being raised. I think God. I also think that I've, there have been people that I know who have been rebaptized. And they've done that out of a desire to be obedient to Christ. And I think that's just as beautiful. Um, I know people who have felt like, hey, I've been baptized as an infant. I want to be baptized as a believer now, a believer's baptism. I want to do that. Beautiful. And I've also known people who said, I was baptized as an infant. But, you know, as I grew older, I gained a new understanding of what baptism represents. And to me, that's what that represents now. Who am I to say? Oh, well, no, that didn't count. You got to do it again. I believe with all my heart that what it represents in our heart as we grow and is what it represents between us. And Now, only we know whether or not that's an excuse because we're prideful or we don't want to do something. That If the Spirit's telling us to do it, we've got all kinds of excuses. We've talked about this before. One of the things I, um, you know, that struggle between moving as believers from why do I have to do this to why wouldn't I do this? Right, so let's answer that question. Which one comes to our mind first? Gives us some clarity. Hope that makes sense. That's a big discussion. I mean, you could write books on that, to be honest with you. So another question. That's the only one. How do you know when you're ready? I think, um, I think you know when you're ready when you understand. Now, let me back up. I want to say when you understand what it represents. However, that childlike faith thing is real. And I think God honors that and blesses that. And so, in, in, in my mind, how do you know you're ready for believer's baptism is once you've believed. Uh, throughout Scripture, you always see um, baptism with salvation. So, there's a, a, maybe one of the questions someone might have, and we've addressed this before, is does... Is baptism required unto salvation? Meaning, does baptism save you? There are many denominations who believe that. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. Um, um, I believe that, you know, Scripture says, I, I believe it says clearly that you're saved when you profess Christ and you, and you repent of your sins and you trust in him. That this is a description of what was happening there, again, with being saved and being baptized. A description of what happens in the in the. Christ follower's life, not a prescription of how to be saved. Um, and so I think if you're a believer, I think if you're a believer and you, have not been, and you have not been baptized, but you understand what Jesus did and why he did that, you understand that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was baptized. And the baptism that John the Baptist was doing was a baptism of repentance of sin. Jesus had no sin. What he was doing was he was taking our place. He was, it was symbolically, he was identifying himself with our humanity. So that now today we have the honor and the gift of being baptized and identifying ourselves with him. The body of Christ. That's beautiful in my opinion. So a believer's baptism, I believe, once you've come to faith to be baptized uh, after that point. The believer's baptism is what that represents. I was baptized when I was in fourth grade. I think it was just as meaningful even though my understanding of it grew. Um, what else? Is it that easy? Okay.
Yeah, what's the difference in the empowerment? Like being like if you get saved and you feel that empowerment, and then if you're baptized and feel that empowerment, what's the difference there? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, so um, there's actually a long answer to that. I'll try and give you the short one. First of it starts with the doctrine of salvation and understanding what happens at that point when we do when we are saved. There are those who surrender to Christ and ask Jesus to save them, and in that moment, their lives are radically changed from that moment on. But there is story after story after story. This is my story where I accepted Christ as a child, but I didn't. I don't know that I experienced transformation until years later where something happened. And I think Romans 12 talks about that, that moment of presenting ourselves um, back to Christ, um, that something is empowering in that moment. It's this, it's this season in which that happens. I think that happens throughout our life as believers, that there are different moments where we understand, different moments when we experience things that are life-changing and can be very empowering. What I do know is there are certain things also that Scripture promises are significant. And I think, and this is one of them. Baptism is one of them. Baptism is this thing in which we are physically, uh, publicly uh, representing uh, this death to ourselves and identifying with Christ. And so, um, is there a difference? Um, I believe the Holy Spirit comes into you as a, when you confess Christ, when you become a believer, all right? But there is something supernatural about baptism. There's still something there, and we see the presence throughout Scripture where something supernatural happens in, in those moments as well, all right? And I, I think it also represents the, the bigger picture, if this makes sense, because we're baptized into the body of Christ. When we think about the body, we think about the bride of Christ, the church. Um, for me, that public thing, you know, Jesus had a private ministry and a public ministry. For many, that begins to represent the difference between when our faith was all about us and when it began to be about those around us as, as well. And so there are several layers of where that seems to be empowering, and we see that throughout Scripture as well. Granted, there's a difference between rebirth and rededication. Right. 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 I think everyone's journey, everyone's journey is different in how we experience our faith walk, right? But what we do know is there is a point in which we are, we are doctrinally declared innocent by the blood of Christ, where we are saved. And, and that's a promise that happens. After that, there are different things that happen which are more empowering, and, and we can look back on our lives, and we could, we could test the Spirit. We can prayerfully see where we are in each of those, but I think it's different from each. And so it's hard to measure by looking at other people or, you know, it's, I think all, all of our journeys are different, which is what's beautiful about it as well.